you have your Bible, you can go with me to Philippians 2 this morning. Philippians 2, in our study here in this book of Philippians, we return this morning. We've been seeing a few Christ-exalting paradoxes. Like when we come to verse 4 here in chapter 2 and think, how, how does one have true joy by looking out for the needs of others? That's not what the world tells us to do, is it? Look out for others' needs and you'll have joy? Or as we saw back in chapter 1, verse 21, how does one truly believe that to live is Christ and to die is gain? How are these statements possible? Pastor and author uh, John Piper calls these the Christ-exalting paradoxes of life as he writes the following in his book, and I highly recommend this little book, Don't Waste Your Life. He says, The life devoted to making much of Christ is costly. And the cost is both a consequence and a means of making much of him. If we do not embrace the path of joy-laden, painful love, we will waste our lives. If we do not learn with Paul the Christ-exalting paradoxes of life, we will squander our days pursuing bubbles that burst. He lived speaking of Paul, he lived as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing but possessing everything, from 2 Corinthians 6.10. The Calvary road is costly and painful, but it is not joyless. I think many Christians struggle with these, what, Piper calls these Christ-exalting paradoxes. I think we struggle with them. We have this feeling, this feeling from somewhere that following Jesus shouldn't be painful and costly. Only happy, only profitable. So when we face the difficulties of life and the difficulties of taking a stand for Jesus Christ and our legs wobble under the weight of it all, we we find we're confused at times. We don't understand how we're to have joy in the midst of it all. But we need to understand this. When we truly humble ourselves in service to God and others, when you're thinking not only of yourself, when your real passion in life is to make much of Jesus Christ in the sight of others, that's when you realize that Even though following Jesus is costly, even though it is painful at times, it is also a joyful place to serve. God makes sure it's so. John Piper goes on to say, When we embrace with joy the cost of following Christ, His worth will shine in the world. The cost itself will become a means of making Christ look great. We often miss that. We think it's all about us. When really the Christian life should be all about making much of Christ. Making Him look great to the watching world. We don't embrace with joy the cost of following Jesus is the problem. 
And for some of us, there is fear when counting the cost. So we'd rather not count the cost. We would rather just float through life and think only of the good things. But what we've got to learn, what we must take to heart, as Paul had learned, and is teaching us here in Philippians, is that there is real value in the cost of following Jesus. It is the way in which you make much of him as you shine as lights in the world, as we hear from verse 15. And once again, John Piper goes on to say, Christ has called us to live for his glory and to die for his glory. If we know how to die well, we will know how to live well. That is a message that we will hear from Paul in the text before us this morning. Now our focus is going to be on verses 17 and 18 in Philippians 2, but I want you to follow along as I begin reading in verse 12. We want to back up just a little bit for the sake of context and for a refresher. Beginning in Philippians 2, verse 12, you look at your copy of God's Word while I read, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And then the following is where our focus will be today. Verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice, uh, sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, if we don't slow down, when we read verses 17 and 18, we're going to miss something important here. We're hearing from Paul in Philippians 2, and what we learn from his example is that if the lives of believers in Jesus don't exalt Jesus, don't make much of him, then they have wasted what God has entrusted to them. And that is still a message for us today. If you say, I'm a believer in Jesus, God is entrusting to you his good news that you are to live out before the world, making much of him. We are not to waste that opportunity with the life that we have, with the breath that we have every day. Everything that we have been seeing here in chapter 2 is to be lived out for God's glory. Is the church to be unified? Yes, it is. Why? For the glory of God. 
Are we to see to the needs of others? Yes, we are. Why? For God's glory. Are we to live out our faith, work out our own salvation? Are we to live out what we say we believe? Yes, we are. Why? For God's glory. Are we to stop grumbling and disputing? <laughs> yes, we are. Why? For God's glory. And are we to be, as verse 15 says, blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation? Yes. Why? For God's glory. Believers in Jesus will face difficulty in this life. We may even face ridicule and persecution for being followers of Jesus. But because the gospel of Jesus is made known through our lives lived for the glory of God, we know that it will be worth it all. It will be. And there's joy in the service to the king now. And there's great riches and blessing in all eternity for those who serve him now. And what we'll see in verses 17 and 18 is that Paul begins to give us the first of three illustrations, three individuals whose lives illustrate these truths. Three illustrations of how we are to humbly live our, out our salvation, how we're to do that without grumbling or disputing, how we're to hold out the word of life and shine like bright lights for Jesus in this dark world. The second and third examples of how we're to do this we'll see in future studies, Lord willing. But the first one we're going to see today, and I want you to note that the first example, the first individual is Paul himself. Let's note Paul's example. Paul begins by using himself as an example. We might think that Paul is... Paul using himself as the example is a strange thing. After what we learned in the first six verses of chapter 2, that true humility is demonstrated in putting others first, why is he talking about himself? But remember this. Let's remember that what Paul is writing is inspired by God. God is moving Paul to write these things. So if God wants it in his word, Paul talks about himself. God wants Paul to use himself as an illustration. This is not out of place. Secondly, we might think it's inappropriate for Paul to use himself as an illustration because if pressed, we might be hesitant to use ourselves as an illustration. We might not want to use ourselves as an illustration of righteous living. We know ourselves like no one else does. And we say, who am I? Who am I to speak? But what we're seeing in Paul is a man who is truly surrendered to God, who is giving his life in ministry and service for Christ. He has a close fellowship with the Lord. And when that is true, it's very often true that when that is true of an individual who has devoted their lives to serving Christ and who has selflessly given themselves in, in service to their King and their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, they often become very, very short-sighted when it comes to being self-conscious. They're not aware of themselves as much as 
as some of us are. So Paul is able to honestly use himself as an example of godly living. We know from some of other uh, other writings of Paul that he does not see himself as perfect. He knows he struggles and he fights to live for Christ, but he is able to say, "My life is being offered up to God in service to Him as a living sacrifice." So Paul says in verses seventeen and eighteen that he is gladly giving his life, and he's an example for us to follow. He's giving his life for the name of Christ, and it is his joy to do so. So look at verse 17 again. Look at your Bible, verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now, if you were to look up the word sacrifice in the dictionary like I did, you'd find it defined as the act of losing or surrendering something as a penalty for a mistake or fault or failure to perform. That's that's how we tend to think of sacrifice. But to the Philippian believers, the word sacrifice painted a totally different picture than what we're accustomed to seeing. We've never witnessed the sacrifice of a lamb. But when Paul talks about the sacrificial offering, he's bringing to mind to the the Philippian believers this, this vivid illustration. The altar, the animal, the blood. And when he speaks of being poured out as a drink offering, that is part of the picture. The drink offering during the animal sacrifice, after placing that sacrificial animal on the altar, the priests would often take wine or sometimes water or sometimes honey and pour it either on top of the burning sacrifice or in front of the burning sacrifice. And the rising steam symbolized the rising of that sacrifice into the nostrils of the deity to whom it was offered. So when he talks about being a living sacrifice, they have a very vivid picture in their mind. We tend to think of it as lost. That's not what they were thinking. This is the vivid imagery that Paul uses for his own sacrifice. He calls calls his own sacrifice the drink offering. That, That offering that finally poured out on top of or in front of the burning sacrifice. Paul says in verse 17, even if I am to be poured out. Now, um, again, English translation is challenging sometimes. This could actually be translated as probably more appropriately translated, since I am, not if. Since I am being poured out. He is actually talking about the present tense. He's not talking about some future day. Some have interpreted this passage with the idea that Paul was speaking of his future death being a sacrifice, but that's not what he's saying here. He's talking in the here and now. This is what is happening, he's saying. He sees his life as a living sacrifice. He is sacrificing in the present tense. He's already being poured out, paying the price for the gospel of Christ, imprisoned, 
chained to a Roman guard. And he willingly goes through these difficulties and other difficulties with his heart set on being a pleasing sacrifice to God. This is Paul's willing and joyful choice. The reason I make a point of, of emphasizing the importance of understanding that he's talking about something he is going through. This is present tense. Is that we need to see our lives that way too. Not that someday I'll, I'll sacrifice it all for Jesus. No, no. He's calling you now to be a living, breathing sacrifice to him as you live your life where he put you amongst the people he put you. Paul also knows that though he suffers for the cause of Christ, he's not alone. The Philippian believers suffer with him. They must also endure the same hardship. That's why he says in Philippians 1 and verse 28 that they are not to be terrified by their adversaries. In verse 29, that they will suffer for Christ. He warns them in verse 30 that they will experience the same conflict that he has experienced. And then in Philippians 2 and verse 15, he says that they were living like we are in the, like we are now. They're living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. What Paul is telling them is that their sacrifice is meaningful. It is significant. And he is just the topping off of their sacrifice. It's not like their sacrifice was greater than his. It's not like his was lesser than. In the sacrificial system, it was customary for the sacrifice to be laid out on the altar and then the one who had brought the sacrifice would pour out the drink offering. That's what Paul's talking about. We, we serve together. I'm just pouring out. I'm just pouring out my life as a drink offering to your sacrifice. This final element of that sacrifice. So, so there's a real sense here that Paul and the Philippian believers are unified in this sacrifice. That is really all one sacrifice. This is Paul's example. And this is how... Listen, church, this is how we are called to live. We've talked about unity quite a bit in, in Philippians already. But this is how we're to be unified. We serve a risen Savior. We, we rejoiced in that last Sunday, did we not, at Easter? In fact, think of it this way. We, we rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus Christ every Sunday. But if we really want to be unified as believers in Jesus, we need to be serving together for the sake of the gospel. We need to be united on the right things. This is how we are called to serve together as the church. We face difficulty together. Not as individuals. We should face difficulty together. It's why I warn you, I challenge you, that when you face difficulty, the tendency, the natural tendency is sometimes for many people to withdraw. Don't do that. Do not withdraw from the fellowship of the church when you face hardship and difficulty. Ask your brothers and sisters in Christ to join you, praying for you, helping however they can, 
We sacrifice for God's glory together. We, we know the joy is ours also when we sacrifice together. We know the joy of life together. That's a part of the blessing that God gives when we get this right. When we see unity for what it truly ought to be, it is a gathering around the truth of the gospel to serve side by side for the sake of the gospel. And we face hardship together. We face difficulty together. And the outcome is our joy. God gives blessing that we would not even be able to create in our own effort. And so let's note also the joy in the sacrifice. We saw Paul's example. Note the joy. There is real joy in the sacrifice. It seems really counterintuitive, doesn't it? I can only think of, I've got a blister on my hand uh, this morning. Uh, so this week, out in the backyard, we, we bought this house. I wish that we'd looked closer to the backyard. I would have offered him a lot less for the house after I when I finally, when the snow melted and I finally saw the backyard, I was like, oh my word. Junk, lots of junk. And we, I'm seriously, junk that I've been you know, cutting up in little pieces and trying to get rid of, right? And, and all kinds of things. And Carolyn was out there helping me the other day. I, it was 80 degrees, right? We were all rejoicing in beautiful weather. I love it, love, love the weather. But I was hot and tired and sweaty and blisters. And yet, when we turned around and looked back into the backyard, it's not perfect. It's far from perfect. And so there's pain. And yet there's joy. Because hey, it's getting better. We were curious, and I looked at her backyard and I was like, that's what I want my backyard to look like. Someday maybe. This is the church. We suffer together. God, God has called us not just for joy, but yet there is joy. We grieve together, right? But we don't grieve like people who have no hope because we have hope. And through the tears and through the trials, we can rejoice as we serve the Lord together for the sake of the gospel. There is real joy. You get it? There's real joy in the sacrifice. Is it painful? Yes. Will you come out with blisters later? Probably. Will you shed some blood? Maybe. There is real joy for believers who understand that their service and suffering is for Christ. It's to make much of Him. And it is an offering that pleases God. So much so, Paul tells the Philippian believers in verse 18... Look at it, verse 18. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I think that one of the most important lessons that we should learn from this passage is in verse 17. And it can be summed up like this. Paul is saying, Since I am being poured out as a drink offering, I rejoice. I rejoice because I'm being poured out as a drink offering. That is so hard for us to get, isn't it? It's so hard for us to think of suffering and hardship 
for the sake of the kingdom, for Christ, and rejoice in that. And yet, that's what the Bible is calling us to. Note what Paul isn't saying. Do not read this into what Paul is saying. This is, he's not saying this. He's not, it's not like Paul is coming along and he's like, well, I can't quite do it, but put Eeyore's tone here. You do the, you know, Eeyore, Winnie the Pooh, and Eeyore. I used to read to the kids when they were little. I tried to do Eeyore. And, you know, it's like, well, you know, all the trouble I'm going through, and what painful difficulty that I'm going through, and this time of hardship that I'm going through, but I'm choosing to rejoice in spite of it all. That's not what he's saying. That is not Paul's attitude. He's saying... He is rejoicing because his life is an offering to God. I'm offering myself up to God. Now, don't we look at what Paul is saying and just wonder, how? And I've noted this before, and you've noted it before. You can look at someone who's going through hardship as a believer in Jesus, and you see their strength. And you say, how? Can I just encourage you? That's okay. We marvel at that. But get this. God gives you what you need when you need it. He doesn't often show you how you're going to do it before you get there. But He expects you to walk in obedience to Him. And when you get there, He gives you what you need. I think if you could ask the person who's suffering and you look at their life and go, that's incredible. How do they do that? They would not have known before either. And yet their faith is in Christ. Their life is devoted to living for Christ. They are a living sacrifice for Christ. And God shows up and gives them joy in the midst of the tears. What's even more confusing to some of us is that Paul's own testimony is that he experienced his greatest joy as a result of his greatest sacrifice. The world we live in is all about experiences. I heard somebody say this this week. Nobody here. I was listening to a podcast and I heard somebody say, I'm just looking for experiences. I want to take my family and experience things together. It's okay to go and enjoy things that God has created for you to enjoy. We do that. Is your life all about just experiencing the next great excitement? Or have you devoted your life to Christ in such a way that you're willing to look with joy on the things that may not be so comfortable for you? Such a great experience for you. Paul's greatest joy came as a result of his greatest sacrifice. And then he invites the Philippian believers and all believers, that includes us, and invite, invites them here. Of course, we're being invited by God's word, again, because God moved Paul to write these things so that we might grow in them to experience the same joy. It says verse 18, Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Most of us, I would venture to say most of us cannot easily relate to this. And here's why. We have difficulty understanding Paul's joy 
because most of us know nothing of that kind of willing, joyful sacrifice for Jesus. That's convicting. We know nothing of what the apostles experienced when they rejoiced as they were living sacrifices for the cause of Christ. I want you to hear the words from Acts chapter 5. They had been beaten bloody for preaching Christ. Acts chapter 5, verses 40 through 42. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 42 says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Did you get that? I began reading in verse 40. They called in the apostles. They beat them and charged them and told them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They went away rejoicing and kept speaking, preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. They were less concerned about the physical suffering and more concerned about their lives being a living, joyful sacrifice for Jesus. Will you, is it possible that you will be beaten, bloody, if you stand for Jesus? It's hard for us to see that, that happening in our day, right? There are believers in the world today who are being beaten, bloody, for naming the name of Christ. We don't, we don't, you and I don't see this personally. But if you commit to believing and obeying God's word rather than man, you will face opposition because what you are devoting your life to is something that is contrary to this dark world in which we live. You will face opposition. You may not be beaten bloody, but you will face difficulty. If you name the name of Christ, are you ready to do that? Come what may? Are you ready to stand for Christ and keep serving Christ? Letting your life be a living sacrifice for the cause of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. This week, I've been following, there's a, uh, we've been praying for them on Wednesday nights. There's a church in Canada that has been meeting in the midst of these COVID regulations and things around the world. Uh, at first, they, they did not meet, like so many churches like this church, did not meet for a few weeks. And then they realized that people need to be together with God's people in church. They need to hear the, the word of God proclaimed. Grace Life Church in Canada. They were put under restrictions that they could not have more than 15% of capacity in their building. And yet, people were coming. coming. And at, in fact, there are churches in Canada that are still not open. And there are people from those churches coming. Because they want to hear the truth of God's word. They want to be with God's people. Interestingly enough, you might think that's not safe. You might think that. But there have been no cases of COVID reported as a result of those people meeting in that church. 
Incredible. Hundreds of people. This week, the government placed two fences around their building. I was shocked. I could not believe what I was seeing. Uh, Ireland told me yesterday there, there's word that the government was uh, thinking about, strongly thinking about taking the fences down because of the public outcry, taking the fences down last night. I don't know if that happened. I have a feeling that the church was likely going to show up and meet anyway in the field around the fences. I don't know that for sure. There are people coming to Christ because of their faithful witness. And the church is being strengthened because of their insistence on being together, preaching the gospel, challenging and encouraging people with the truth every Sunday. And I praise God for their courage. And I pray that we would have the same kind of courage if the same kind of challenge came our way. Are you ready to embrace being a living sacrifice for the cause of Christ in the challenges that you will face and the possible rejection by people close to you for your commitment to following Jesus and obeying the Bible? Are you willing? Are you ready? Are you seeking to be there? We're not facing having our building wrapped in fence so that we can't meet. That's not, that's not what we're facing. In fact, we have incredible liberties to speak the name of Jesus. Yet, we often choose not to. Same as winning. When we keep our mouths shut. When we don't give our lives to serve a risen Savior. If you're ready to embrace being a living sacrifice for the cause of Christ, then you are also ready to experience the joy that comes as a result of living a life that is poured out as an offering to Jesus. There's no higher joy than serving, giving your life to serve for the glory of God. You can face the Christ-exalting paradoxes of life without real joy. If you face those paradoxes and scratch your head and wonder why and walk away. Or you can face those Christ-exalting paradoxes in life with real joy if you'll devote yourself to living for Jesus, living every day for His glory. It's making one decision at a time, taking one step at a time for God's glory. Don't stand here now and think, I'm looking into the future and I want to live my whole life for God's glory. Start with the decision you're making today. And then pick up tomorrow and make those decisions about serving for God's glory. If you're an unbeliever today, you need to do this too. Because God's word calls to you to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent of your sins, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. Devote your life to serving Christ. And there's joy in serving Jesus. Though your life may not get easier, it may get more challenging, it may get painful, you may have people who are loved ones or people in your family who reject you because you name the name of Christ. But God calls you to repent of your sins and believe in Him today. If you're an unbeliever, I plead with you to do that. Don't let another day go by. I'd love to talk to you about that if you have questions. I'd love to pray with you if you, if you wish. But you can do that even where you sit in this moment. Surrender your life to Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
devote your life to serving God for his glory, and you'll have his joy as your strength. Being a living sacrifice is what we're being called to, believers. And may we all devote ourselves to this today, to serving, to living for God's glory. Why? Go back and look at verses 9 through 11 in Philippians 2. Why? Therefore God has highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.